Welcome to the Two Marketing Moms podcast. Two women with 50 years plus of marketing. Integrity and culture are extremely important. You can still say, I don't know. Stop multitasking and be present in the moms moment. have balls, big time. Welcome to the Two Marketing Moms podcast. We are two women with more than 50 years of marketing and advertising experience between us, and we want to talk about the struggles, the fails, and the wins that we experienced while building our careers, being a boss, juggling work in a home life, and arguably the hardest and yet most fulfilling job, being a mom. This podcast was created for marketing and advertising professionals, especially the up-and-coming marketing stars of the future. We hope these tips, tricks, and advice will help you navigate work and life and get ahead. Thank you for joining the Two Marketing Moms podcast. Today's episode is called How to Have Difficult Conversations with Colette Fortin. Colette brings over 30 years of experience in teaching, coaching, and divorce mediation. She offers workshops to individuals, leaders, and teams in understanding emotional intelligence. By helping individuals gain a better understanding of themselves, their communication styles, and their relationships, they can discover what brings them more joy and fulfillment in both their personal and professional lives. Welcome, Colette. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for chatting with me today. So I have so many questions about what it is that you do and how you came to do what you do. Um, so your background is as a, as a divorce mediator. So I can imagine you must have a lot of experience in having difficult conversations. You're absolutely right. And you know, when I started doing this work, uh, I, I sort of had a perspective on, you know, we have opinions about why relationships end and that sort of thing. And as I started working with people, it's it sort of was such an eye-opening experience that really, um, understanding what people are going through and the difficult conversations that we have to have with people really uh, shed a lot of light even into our own relationships in, in the workplace and uh, within extended families and families. And that's where I started to kind of broaden my work around, you know, communication is the number one reason people describe as why the relationship ends. And I started to dig deeper on like, why was that? And it's, and difficult conversations were a big part of it. Well, let's dig in. You categorize difficult conversations in a really specific way that really simplifies it for me. Can you explain that? Yeah, certainly. So the model that we're going to talk about in the insights and learnings are going to be about um, the conversations that you have to have with people when you know you're going to have an ongoing relationship with someone. So what I'm not talking about is the one and done. So if you're firing a client or you're, you know, changing directions with a teammate or that sort of thing where you're not going to have an extended relationship with this person. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those situations where there needs to be, and certainly in the workplace, that is, that is a big, uh, a big issue is we're going to be working together for a long time. So let's learn how to have these conversations more productively. That makes it makes a lot of sense and makes it e easy to distinguish between the two different types of conversations. <laughs> So um, this model we talked about earlier requires a little bit of a shift in your thinking um, about difficult conversations. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, later we're going to talk a little bit about human nature when we disagree and whatnot. But before we get into the weeds of that, there's some there's some principles that I, I really want to encourage people to think about. And it's it's really shifting 
some preconceived ideas we have about people. And I love to use the example of six and nine. And I don't know if you know the card game, Uno. But when you're playing cards, depending on what side of the table you're sitting on, the six can look like a nine and the nine can look like a six. And so when we're talking about difficult conversations, just being aware that the other person might be looking at it differently. It's kind of one of the one of the underlying principles. The second thing is that very few people are deliberately trying to sabotage a situation. Like people are operating from their own understanding, their own perspective, their own bias, their own reasons. And that when there's a hiccup or a problem, keeping that in the back of your mind and saying that people are not trying to make a mess of things in the workplace or, you know, having an argument for the sake of having an argument. Um, another thing is that we often think about disagreements as a this or this. So this is my position and this is my position. And our ego really has a hard time allowing for the possibility that two different perspectives could actually be right. Because it's sort of like, well, if if we're not on the same page about something and I'm allowing you to be right and suspending my thoughts, then does that make me wrong? Well, I can't be wrong. So what happens when people disagree and think about the last uh, argument you might've had with someone or disagreement, we spend a lot of energy trying to convince the other person that I'm right and you're wrong and I'm gonna show you why. And I'm gonna prove to you why you're wrong. And so suspending some of those preconceived notions has to be the starting point for this to work. When you and I chatted about this earlier, that was the biggest aha moment for me is trying to understand, well, why do they have the point of view that they that they do? And it's not against me in any shape or form. It's just they live in their own universe and their own perspective. And it doesn't make me wrong. It just mean it doesn't make them right. It just means we have two different perspectives. And so that means that, you know, we need to, when you are going to have these conversations and setting the stage for these conversations does require preparation and it can become quite stressful. And sometimes people want to even avoid having the conversation altogether because it's stressful. So how do you keep, you know, coach people with thinking about that preparation and that stress in mind? Well, you're, I think you're absolutely right, Kelly. When um, when we have to have a conversation that we know might be challenging, obviously there's something that led to that, right? There's been a misunderstanding, a miscommunication, something has happened, and now we know we're going to enter into this space. And for most people, it's very uncomfortable. So, you know, recognizing that I call it the mud of limbo. Um, when life is predictable and we know how things stand with our client or our coworker and patterns of behavior are predictable, we know where things are going, everything is going well. And it's easy to get along and communicate well when there are no pressure points. But let's face it today, there are a lot of pressure points, whether it's time or budget or just expectations. And so now you're going into a difficult conversation and just recognizing that it is an uncomfortable space, that you're in what I call the mud of limbo, that the conversation is going to be potentially unpredictable. Um, That's going to trigger anxiety for some people, stress, as you said, some people avoid it altogether. And of course, the longer you avoid it, the more it festers and the more difficult it is. So recognizing that both parties are entering into this with a heightened anxiety 
and all those preconceived, no one is trying to sabotage. We're all doing the best that we can. This person has a different perspective than me. It's okay that we disagree. Those are all foundational pieces. As you say, you have to prepare for that space. I love the mud of limbo. And it really just really comes, brings to light all sorts of visualizations in your head. No one really wants to be stuck there. You want to know, are you in, or are you out? Where do you stand? So I think that's a really good way to, to think about it and talk about it. So let's talk through this. You've identified there's an issue. You've taken the time to repair. You understand this is a stressful situation for both parties. So what does the framework look like from there? And then how does this model that you've come up with um, evolve over time for you? Well, certainly, um, you know, I ask people often to think about a difficult conversation that they've recently had or a disagreement. And this might sound familiar as what your internal voice might have been saying. You don't know what I'm dealing with. This will never work. I have too many competing priorities. This person doesn't understand me. I hear you, but that's my favorite one. I hear you, but have you considered or you didn't consider? And so we all do that. And certainly for me working in divorce mediation, it didn't take me long. I mean, I came into this work thinking, okay, as I said, that, you know, there's sort of some common elements as to why people separate. And part of our process is just getting to know people. And it was astounding to me how in those get to know you conversations, I would sometimes leave after meeting with the second spouse and saying, were these two people in the same marriage? Because the perspective of how the relationship evolved, how did communication flow, what were the pressure points could be completely different. And that's when I started to realize about this concept of two truths. And then I came across the book um, by Lisa McLeod and I saw her speak at a conference I think it was 15 years ago. And the book is called The Triangle of Truth. And it was the concept that two people can have a very different truth, and they do. And one does not have to be wrong for the other one to be right. And that really hit home for me when I was working with my clients. And if you imagine a triangle, and it's sort of like my truth, your truth, and if we just stay in our corners, then there is no greater solution. And, and that's that's the human nature of the either or, yeah, but, and yeah. thinking. Can you give us an example in the marketing world of, of how we can see how this model actually works? For sure. So when you are um, when you are in a space where you need to think about suspending your truth, so that you can allow the other person to really share what, what's behind the curtain when there's, because obviously we're having this conversation because there's been an issue, a hiccup, a misunderstanding, something derailed. And so understanding that your truth is different than the other person is that foundational piece. But being able to take time to hear that then allows you to move into what that zone of yes might look like of yes can be greater understanding can be um, can be about new solutions that you hadn't contemplated. So let's imagine in your world, um, your organization is struggling to keep projects on budget. Does that sound familiar? Always. Client service every day. Every day. <laughs> Client service and strategy are pointing fingers at each other. Well, you don't. And so, so now there's there's conflict between these two groups. 
and you're the leader of both areas and you've been working through and trying to implement a new management system that's going to bring accountability and transparency so that budgets don't go overboard. Yes. Okay. And you're getting a lot of resistance from one of your senior leaders about the whole thing. And you've decided that you're going to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with that person. So you go into that conversation, remembering the triangle and saying, okay, I know I have my reasons as CEO or, you know, head of this, this group to do what I need to do, but I've got to suspend that. And I've got to try to take some time to figure out what's behind the resistance and acknowledge that this person has their own truth about this. And we need to spend some time in that space. And that doesn't mean I have to agree. It's not about agreeing or acquiescing. It's just about acknowledging. So step one is acknowledge. Yeah. So that person has said, you don't understand. I'm overstretched. Things are chaos. Um, you know, we don't have clarity. It's not my fault. They're always dead. So always, never, all of that. So acknowledging might sound like this. When there isn't clarity on the scope of a project, you feel like you are, you are blamed for that. So you're acknowledging that person's truth. Strategy meetings can easily get off course if there's no pre-planning. Am I understanding that correctly? <laughs> yes, that's what's going on. And then, and then it's my fault if things go over budget, but we should have been organized from the beginning. So you're now spending some space in that person's truth to be able to acknowledge where they're coming from. Without enough resources, you feel spread too thin. So there's another acknowledgement. And although the ego in us wants to say, yeah, but I'm responsible for the fiscal integrity of the organization, right? That's, that's what happens is the yeah, but, and then there's the tug of war of who's going to acquiesce first, just suspend your truth to allow that space to exist. So what, what you've done now is you set the foundation for you to be able to express what your truth is and what you're, where you're coming from, from an organizational health perspective. I need to be sure projects stay on budget. Organizational efficiencies are going to enhance, uh, be enhanced with our new system and allow for more accountabilities. And having team members underutilized is not good to help our organization thrive. Sound familiar? Yeah. So you're, you're setting the stage by allowing these truths to exist. And then this is where the magic happens. Because now what you've done is when a person feels heard and acknowledged, remember that mud of limbo and that stress yeah. and that anxiety and that, yeah, but you don't, you don't. That suddenly, that, that, that amygdala, that stress response is suddenly uh, diffused. Because they're feeling like, okay, this is a safe space to, to, to say what I need to say. We can have a different point of view and I'm not going to be challenged in how I feel or what I think. And when you're in that space is where the reframe, which means turn a negative statement into a pre-solution statement. Some people call it flip thinking, yeah. right? Now you're in the space of creativity to be able to say, okay, let's take that pressure point and see if we can flip it into an opportunity. So let's imagine we have the statement, strategy meetings get off course if there's no pre-planning. So having a structure and pre-thought at the planning stage might save time on the back end. 
Now we've flipped that statement to what's not working to what needs to work. Mapping out resources needed at the beginning of the project will help protect the team from burnout. And then this one, which I love is, what would it look like for you to be able to move forward with these, with these parameters? Or what does yes look like for you? Yeah. Because sometimes people have solutions and we just don't take the time to hear them. Um, yeah. So paraphrase and acknowledge to role model that two truths exist. Then practice the flip thinking or the reframing so that you can start to see if there is a zone of yes. So basically you're trying to get at what, what's behind the curtain and seeing if there is a yes in this entire conversation through the set of questions and re-expressing and expressing and reframing and paraphrasing. Exactly, exactly. And so sometimes we make assumptions, we all do, about people's motivations or people's truth. And that conversation can really be quite eye-opening um, around what was behind the curtain. So suppose in that scenario, um, the resistance to the new uh, CRM program was um, that the person was stretched. It was a resourcing issue more than a process issue. But you don't know that until you have that, until you have that conversation. So there could be two paths forward. So a new zone of yes might be, I really appreciate you taking the time for us to talk about this. I think we have a better solution forward. We are going to move ahead with the CRM program, but I'm going to allocate some budget dollars to hire a contractor for three months to help with implementation. So that could be one path, a new solution. Second path, we're still moving ahead. Notice how the senior leader's truth of we are implementing this program hasn't changed. Yeah. But they've heard what's behind the resistance to see, well, is there a way we can have that win-win and make it work for everybody? So the second path is, I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me about it. We are going to move ahead. I don't have the budget dollars right now, but I'm going to see about whether we can, um, we can plan for that in the next quarter so that you have some resources to handle um, the change that's coming. Because at the end of the day, this is not about just, I'm going to hear your truth and give everybody everything that they want. Because sometimes that's not possible. Never possible. Um, so the Zoda, yes, I'm putting that um, on my bulletin board so I can remember it because it it really makes a lot of sense and it really reframes your thinking. Um, so all of this is all about seeking to understand the perspective of the other, right? Absolutely. And changing your perspective and just allowing for that space to exist can actually go a really long way as a leader. Sometimes as leaders, we think we have to have all the answers. We have to solve everything. We're the problem solvers. And it's amazing when you allow that space to exist and you uh, create a new culture of conversations. And I actually don't like calling them difficult conversations because even just thinking about it, like I'm going to have a difficult conversation, it's going to give me stress. Yeah. So I like to use the frame of reference. We're going to have a conversation about a difficult topic. Ooh, that's good. Right? Yeah. So a lot less intense, a lot less emotional charge around it. And, and as leaders, I think it, it sets the stage for 
a different culture around when we're not on the same page, this is a safe space to disagree, but there's a right way to do it. And finger pointing and blame game and emotional hijack does not allow for creative solutions or mutual respect, right? Well, Colette, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I have learned a lot myself. I know anyone who listens to the podcast will learn a lot from this very short podcast, um, but I really appreciate you sharing your valuable insights. If someone wants to learn more or have an opportunity to work with you on an individual or a team basis, how can they reach you? Um, they can find me on LinkedIn and um, and we can we can connect through LinkedIn and we can chat more. And lots of lots of work I do with leaders is around um, working through. I have a, a really nice graphic organizer and I'll help leaders who often tell me that people come to them with problems and they're trying to fix and they're just putting out fires all the time. And I'll take them through an exercise of who are the two individuals that are struggling and we'll go through a two truth exercise together so that the leader can start to guide people through those conversations and, and really shift how we handle disagreements and conflict in the workplace. Well, I will definitely be one of those people that calls you. <laughs> so thank you for your time today. We'll talk soon. Bye. Thanks, Kelly.